Please bow your hearts in prayer with me. Father, those words we just sang are so reassuring that for my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast. No matter where we're walking, what we're going through, this this promise that You will hold on to us, that You never let us go, that we we are, as Jesus said in John 10, that we are Your sheep, and that You hold us in Your hand, and no one can pull us out. And Father, there's so much peace in that. And yet I find so many times that my doubt works tirelessly to undo my peace. Of times where I think, well sure, no one can pull me out of Jesus' hand, but will He let me go? I've really screwed up this time. God, do You still love me? And I don't think I'm alone, God, in, in, in struggling with this at times. And so we turn to your word to, to what may seem like an unlikely place. And we pray, Lord, that as the, that the gospel would come out of Hosea, that this morning we would see the gospel according to Hosea. That, that we would... We would say, yes, even though I'm, I'm tremendously wicked at times, even though I'm tremendously selfish at times, even though I, I try to turn to others at times, that my Savior, He loves me so, and He will hold me fast. Lord, we pray that You would work in our hearts, that You would draw out of us a deeper trust in You and a deeper walk with You, that You would woo us to Yourself and away from other affections that would only serve to distract us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Well, in all of television history, especially in a day and age of skewed and false news, there's never been words so sure in all of television history as when Jack Bauer would say, I give you my word. And if you don't know what I mean by that, then your entertainment life has just been tremendously let down. (laughs) CTU agent Jack Bauer, whether he was telling it to a president, to a, a, a boss who didn't trust him, or a terrorist, if he said, I give you my word, the viewer knew what would happen. The moment Jack Bauer says, I'm going to do this, you know, well, I know what's going to happen in the next episode. Jack Bauer's going to do it. He's going to find a way to do it, even if he has to die and come back from the dead, which happened multiple times throughout the series. Jack Bauer will accomplish this, because Jack Bauer's word, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is, the interference, the red tape, the non-compliant informant, Jack Bauer will get it done. Because his word is not based on circumstances or people, and it's It's funny to me, and it's ironic, and it's a little sad that I could watch 24 and say, the moment Jack Bauer says, I give you my word, I'm like, oh, well, this is, I mean, they might as well just wrap up the season. Like, this is is it. It's going to happen. And I would have so much confidence in an early 2000s Fox drama than I would when God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
and uh, or I would have more confidence in that than I would when when Jesus said when God says through the apostle John that if I confess my sin, he'll forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Or when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I find that all too often, we assume that for one reason or another, these promises of God, they don't apply to us. And our our common rebuttal to God's promises is based on something false. Like, maybe God has a propensity to lie. Oh, God didn't really mean it when he said that. Or we base it on another falsehood. And that falsehood being and is that my unworthiness undoes the promises of God. And I think if we're honest, most of us at one time or another have felt in some way as though that we flunked out of God's promises. We flunked out of God's grace. That we are somehow by our own resume unworthy and incapable of God's blessing. Whether it's having joy, whether it's having God restored relationships and reconciliation, or being forgiven by God, we, dis- we deem ourselves as unable to receive what God has promised. And if you believe that about yourself, I want you to know that that's false. That that is a lie. And I want to give just real quickly three simple reasons that this is not true. And the first two I'm going to be incredibly brief on. And the last one is going to be the rest of our time. The first reason this is untrue, if, if our hope could be undone by sin, then, it, then it, would mean, it would mean two things that are just completely false. It would mean, first of all, that our sin is more, more powerful than God because it would force him out of keeping his word. If, if your sin could undo this, then your sin is somehow more powerful than God's ability to keep his word. And it would also mean that grace is not really grace. Because in order for grace to be grace, there's no element of which it's earned. It's not like you pay 10% and God pays 90 Although that would be really generous of God, that's not entirely grace. It's something masquerading as grace. It's generosity masquerading as grace. But for it to be grace means you are completely undeserving of it. You are completely unworthy. That is the point. But if our sin can undo the promises, then it's not really grace. The third thing that we see that our hope cannot be undone by our sin is Hosea 3, the gospel according to Hosea. Because here, God gives Hosea another commission in terms of his his relationship with his wife. And it's to reunite with her. See, in Hosea 1, God said, hey, Hosea, go marry a prostitute. She's going to cheat on you because the people of God have cheated on me. Israel has committed whoredom. The children have committed whoredom. The land has committed whoredom. And it's a shocking verse where, where God is just really offensive to the people because their sin is so offensive to him over and over again. And now in, in Hosea 3, God says, hey, Hosea, go, go get your wife again. And there's a reunion that happens. And Hosea's reunion with his wife shows that our hope is not undone by our sin. Hosea's reunion with his wife shows that our hope is not undone by our sin, but found in God's, first of all, love. 
So look at this. Hosea, let's read Hosea 3 and then we'll move through it. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley and said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And so I will also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar or without ephod or without household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So here we see the, the first feature here is it, it our hope is, is not undone by our sin, but it's found in God's love. So God, it's really interesting here. God does not just tell Hosea, go, go get your wife back, go find her in the streets, drag her back to the house tell her to knock it off but he says go love her again go love her again go love a woman who is loved by another man is an adulteress go find gomer wherever she is and her sin as we're going to see here in, in hosea 3 gomer's sin has taken her to terrible places she's not just cheating on her husband. She's abandoned her husband. She's abandoned the security of a home with their children to go back to the streets. She's abandoned her marriage to be mistreated by other men. And he says, go buy her back. The great theologian Sting has potentially described Hosea 3 this way. In this story, I loved you since I knew you. I wouldn't talk down to you. I have to tell you just how I feel. I won't share you with a boy. I know my mind is made up, so put away your makeup. Told you once, I won't tell you again. It's the bad way. Roxanne put out the red light. I asked Austin to do that as a special music this week. He thought I was kidding. I mean, the service isn't over. Go work that up. (laughs) Sting got it right. I mean, he nailed Hosea 3 with that song. But the reason here, the reason here God says, so go love her again, and it's not so Hosea can continue to be the laughingstock of his town for loving a woman who's going to cheat on him, for being a prophet of God who's married to a hooker. The reason... Look at this. Go love her who is loved by another man even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. I can imagine Hosea going to Gomer and be like, hey, I'm going to keep loving you. She goes, why? He goes, because uh, God loves the children of Israel. Like That's not going to be on any Valentine's Day cards. And, and husbands, if you write that on a Valentine's Day card, it might not end well. Um, partly because of the implications you'll be making of your wife. Um, mainly because of that. But the model of Hosea going back to Gomer and going to love her again, even though she's been loved by other people, even though she's an adulteress, 
after all that she's done, it tells us a lot about God. It shows us that there's a humility within God's love. And the humility that Hosea has here is staggering. He has to go buy back his own wife. His wife, through whether she's entrusted herself to a pimp, whether she has racked up debts for herself that she's now paying off and he has to pay back the debtors, we don't know what it is, but he has to go and buy his wife back from adultery. Her betrayal has gone so far that there's serious debt here. There's serious hurt here. It's not just that there's multiple children from multiple dads while they've been married. It's that she is... She has betrayed him in every sense. She, she has left any security from a marriage to go to this life. And we need to realize here that our sin deeply affects God. Remember what Paul said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. To realize that our sin brings grief to our Lord. But his love persists. And it is in humility that Jesus came. To redeem those he created who chose to worship something else or someone else. As we read Hosea, we need to time and time again remind ourselves that as the church, as individuals, our, our character in this story is Gomer. Is the children of Israel who leave God for others, for something dramatically less. And so there's a staggering humility. There's also a surprise to this. That, that God's instruction is not, go get Gomer, drag her back to your house where she belongs as your wife, tell her to knock it off, wag your finger at her, tell her how evil she is. No, it's to go love her again. Go, Hosea, open yourself to love again with this woman who's given no indication that she's going to change. Go instigate love with this person who's hurt you deeply. And no matter how much we try to burn our bridge to God, no matter how much we think our relationship with God is severed, it is not. His love is greater than your sin. His love is not dependent on you doing the right thing 100% of the time. God's not up there being like, oh man, dude, you've been saved for like 10 years. Like, would you just... Get it through your thick skull. That's not what God is telling you. His love is persistent. He is continually pursuing relationship with you. He is continually eager to forgive you of your sin when you repent. His grace is sufficient. Not just for the moment of salvation, but for your Christian life. And there's a question that looms. Uh, I heard Pastor Austin a number of years ago pose this question. What happens if the greatest sin I ever commit is post-salvation? I don't know, maybe you can relate to me. I, got, I came to know Jesus as my Savior at a pretty young age. And before that, I wasn't like peddling contraband formula in the church nursery. Like, I didn't have, like, a real, my, my greatest rebellions have happened since I've gotten saved. And that's something that I wrestle with sometimes. And I don't think I'm alone in that. But God's love is greater. 
than my sin. And it's a persistent love, and it is an expensive love. So, so we have Hosea's admission in verse 2. So I bought her 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. That's a lot of barley. And there's, at the time, like a customary price for a slave would have been 30 shekels. And so we, we kind of get the, you guys ever been like really hard up for a candy bar, but you didn't want to like use your credit card, so you're like scrounging through your car to like lump together any change you can have. And, and like your, your payment for whatever this is, is like a combination of things you could just throw together at the last minute. Hosea paying in barley and in silver is, is a little bit of an indication that he probably, in a, in a, in a very urgent, last-minute way, said, well, what do I have that I can buy her back? That there was, it, it wasn't like, all right, got to buy back my wife. She's been a real jerk. Uh, I'll, I'll get a Dave Ramsey envelope out and uh, I'll put in like 20 bucks a week or a month and just when I have enough, I'll go buy her back, just let her stew on it and think about it. I don't think that was the case. I, I, I get the feeling as I read verse 2 that Hosea got this call from God and he was like, I got to buy her back. So he starts digging through. He's like, okay, here's the silver I have. Uh, what else can I pay with? Well, for some reason, he had a ton of barley um, or access to a ton of barley and so he takes, he, he has this cart of barley and this bag of silver, and he goes and says, I'm here to buy back my wife who has cheated on me incessantly from day one. I'm here to buy back my wife. And this payment, it was not a small amount for him. This wasn't chump change for Hosea. And there's a, there's a point of application in here as we struggle with like how much am I worth, like I'm not worth anything to anyone. It, just remember, any item is only worth what, it's paid, what, what someone's willing to pay for it. You watch any episode of Pawn Stars and someone comes in, they're like, oh, I had this, uh, I have this Sears catalog from 1962 and it's a collector's item. And they're like, no one's paying for that, I'm not buying it. Because it's only worth as much as someone's going to pay for it. God paid the blood of Jesus for you. You were bought with a price, and it wasn't a cheap one. God paid the blood of his son for you. That is what you're worth. So this love is humble, it's surprising, and it's unconditional. It's not based on her behavior. We don't have a Hosea saying, but then I reminded God how awful Gomer is. And he said, all right, I'll let you off the hook. It's not based on past behavior. It's based on the love of God. Hosea, go love your wife again because I love Israel. God's love is not, it's not based on you. It's based on him. So we're not at risk of losing it. Because it was never dependent on what you could give God back. I mean, this, this guy spoke light into existence. What are you going to offer him that he doesn't already have? 
His love is based on Him. And your security has always been in Christ. But sometimes we get to thinking that our security is in us. Oh, I can do this. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And I'm just going to charge ahead. I'm going to do this. I'm going to prove God that I'm, I'm worth keeping around. And we forget the passage in Scripture that says our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to Him. And we, we move away from the deep, deep love of Jesus, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. His love is unconditional and it's based on Him. You make a terrible Savior of yourself. And Jesus makes an all-sufficient, wonderful, merciful Savior. So our hope is not bound in our own righteousness, it's, it's found in God's love and it's found in God's faithfulness. As I said before, we are Gomer. And the fact that we are Gomer is the really good news of this. Gomer could not commit adultery until she got married. She may have been making horrible life decisions and living in a self-destructive way, but adultery was not possible until she got married. And then when she got married, adultery was, was very possible and, and, and done thoroughly by Gomer. It was like a hobby. You, as a Christian, could not wander from God until you were saved. We, we, were, all, we were all astray. We were all dead in our trespasses. But then we got saved. And then we wandered. And we turned to sin and here's the thing about Gomer that makes this such good news. It wasn't, I think the worst thing that could have happened in this story was if Gomer was, was this prostitute who, who, who was well known, and then she got married to Hosea and lived a perfect life after that. Because that would lead us to think that, oh, I can go through life and do whatever I want, and then I get saved, and then if I'm not perfect after that, then I've really, really, really screwed up. But, but Gomer got married and kept sinning and kept sinning and kept sinning, and God said, go love her again because I love Israel. And the good news here is that Gomer was redeemable. That God had his prophet reunite with her. And that God's vision and God's dream and God's accomplishment is to reunite with his people after they've wandered and wandered for generation and generation. Gomer wasn't perfect. The moment she got married, she wandered. And she was sought after again by her husband. You are not perfect before you got saved. You're not perfect after you get saved. We won't be perfect until heaven. But even as we sin, even as we wander from God, even as we continue to turn to our old ways, even as our flesh continues to wage war against our spirit, God keeps coming for us. God keeps pursuing you. God keeps forgiving you. God keeps changing you. We are Gomer, and that is the best news. Hosea returned in love. God returns in love to his children. And as we have moments of faithlessness post-salvation, and they are many, God's faithfulness never ceases. We think about these 
these moments of post-salvation faithlessness of, of major sin, and it's found at an institutional level within the church. How many times has the church tried to align itself with government as though the church could make a human form of God's kingdom on earth, and it ends badly? We saw it through the Holy Roman Empire and how popes would try to run countries from far off. We've seen it as Christians get allured by the God of power instead of trusting in the Lord and seeing through faith instead of their own human eyes. We see times throughout history when the church has been major perpetrators of injustice through wars, through sexism, and through racism. We do not, as the body of Christ, have a flawless record on these issues. Times when Scripture was distorted to promote slavery in our own country, to promote Jim Crow law in our own country. To say women are less than men in our own country. And it hasn't been uncommon to find the church in the middle of those causes. Thankfully, God has also had in those causes, people using Scripture correctly to say we are all created in God's image. People using Scripture correctly and being moved to hide escaped slaves in their homes or to ride buses in the south and join in marches. And we have our individual wandering time where our personal pleasures, our, our desires outweigh our call to walk with God. And we turn all too quickly. But God doesn't get rid of us in the face of our faithlessness. Instead, in His faithfulness, He mercifully extends all the further. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And then Hosea says this, so he, he bought his wife back and he says to her, another great Valentine's Day card here to avoid, gentlemen. He said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And so I will be to you. Notice the lack of middle ground. Jesus said it while talking about money that you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one or the other. There's no middle ground. Our, our walk with God is not a, well, I'll do it on even numbered days. It is a whole heart endeavor. But notice Hosea's faithfulness. This is the last thing that Gomer deserves. He had to walk into some shady institution with a wheelbarrow of barley and a bag of silver and say, that's my wife, I'd like her back. 
because I still love her. And I'm going to love her, even though she's undeserving of this. And he doesn't get back and say, okay, Gomer, here's the deal. He says, we're going to live together. You're going to be faithful to me. I'm going to be faithful to you. Not if you're faithful to me, but I'm going to be faithful to you. And this many days, this many days, it's not like, hey, we're, you know, we'll go for a we'll good We'll go for a good six months. That's a lot of days. Because you, you look at many days later on. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod, without household gods. Israel was exiled before Judah. Judah was in exile for 70 years. This is the rest of our life type of many days. We're not letting go of this. Gomer, we are, we are in this the rest of our life, and I'm going to be faithful to you. And, and I have to think that the, the, the price he paid showed that faithfulness to her. And we, we just, we get this, because we take better care of more expensive things. He, when I was in high school, I bought my first acoustic guitar. It was a Yamaha. I bought it from a pawn shop. I sold a cheap trumpet in order to buy it. And I thought, oh, I'll have this guitar the rest of my life. Oh, this $150 guitar, I'm going to have this the rest of my life. It's so sentimental. It's my first acoustic. About eight, ten years later, I got a Martin. And all of a sudden, that Yamaha wasn't as sentimental because the price was pretty inconsequential, and I sold it. But that Martin, no one's touching it. God paid a lot for us. You better believe Gomer felt valued, that she realized her husband meant something here. And you better believe Hosea viewed her differently having bought her and having walked home with her. God paid for you. He paid top shelf price and he treats you with faithfulness of the same value. So we have God's love, we have God's faithfulness, and then we have God's call to return. And the call to return in Hosea, it starts with in an interesting place. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod, or without household gods. They're going to go a long time without these things they've grown dependent on. Oh, we have a king. We have a king like the other countries. And Israel at this time, they've been living in a golden age. Their borders were expanding. Their borders were secure. Their military was doing well. This was a good time. They, they, they learned in a very fleshly way how it was good to have a king. They, they did sacrifices. The problem is they did sacrifices to anyone and everyone. So they would offer sacrifices to God. Then they'd go right out and offer sacrifices to Baal. And they didn't know which one was really providing for them. And they gave all the credit to the Baals. And so God removed from them a king 
who wasn't leading them towards himself, but instead bringing in other gods to worship. So he removed the king. And he removed the the sacrifices. There was no temple for them. There was no synagogue for them anymore. They couldn't offer sacrifices. And it sounds bad, but when we look back at David, and David says, look God, as he's repenting of his sin, God, the sacrifice is for you. You don't take delight in the bull. You take delight in my broken heart, in my contrite spirit. They could still offer that. But God removed the show of the sacrifices. Because it was their show. It was their righteous parade that God couldn't stand. So he removed their king. He removed their false sacrifices. And he removed their false gods. Remember back last week in Hosea 2? When God said, I'm going, to rem- I'm going to hedge up her way with thorns so that the gods can't get to her. She's going to pursue them and she won't be able to get them. That's God taking the king. That's God taking these false sacrifices. It's God taking their pillars and their household gods. And he's taking all the things away that they had depended on instead of him. He's removing Israel's lovers. Just as Hosea has taken Gomer and said, you're coming to my house and you're going to stay here. And I'm going to love you. God is saying, Israel, I I brought you out of Egypt to this land. You filled it with false gods. I'm going to take you out away from them. I'm going to take you away from these things that you've depended on instead of me. I'm going to take away what is holding you back from walking with me. And think about your own life. What is holding you back? Is it your craving of entertainment? Is it you wanting to use your body however you want to use it? Is it your pride? Is it your materialism? Is it just poor time management and lack of self-control and discipline? What is holding you back? from walking with God. And so God, in the case of Israel, He removes them from His people. And then He says, and we're going to get this refrain over and over again, return. They shall return. And this is God's desire. This is the whole point of Hosea. Return to me. I'm your God. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who makes and keeps promises. Return to me. And they will return to God. And they will seek the Lord. So many times, you know, we all know one verse out of Jeremiah, right? 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. The problem is when we only know that one verse, we don't realize that that's God's word as he's getting ready to... They've just learned, you're going to exile for 70 years, but I, you're going to die in exile, but I know thy plans for you. And then two verses later, it says, you will seek the Lord and you will find him when you seek him with your whole heart. I wish we would make that verse as famous as we've made 2911. Because it's a lot more clear. You will seek the Lord and you will find Him when you seek Him with your whole heart. The people are going to get to the point where they seek the Lord with their whole heart. And you will will seek David, their king. 
This takes them back for the original hearers. They would have thought, what, are we going to reunite with Judah? Is David going to come back from the dead? But as we read this with the view of the whole scripture, we know that, that the Davidic king who sits on the throne forever is Jesus. They're going to come to God through his king. They're going to sit under the reign of King Jesus. That's the vision for God's people to return to him, that we would sit under the reign of King Jesus. That we would walk in the fear of the Lord and in the goodness of the Lord. These people, they didn't know the goodness of the Lord because they never walked with Him. They never realized who He was. They sought after too many other things. And walking with God, giving Him your heart, taking up your cross and following Jesus, even if it means you go to an unreached people group in a far off country with really big bugs, it is not trading apples for oranges to do that. It is trading, if I can paraphrase C.S. Lewis, it is trading the mud pies in the slums for a vacation at the beach. It is trading an empty exile and the things that will never love us back for being God's people, for being a priesthood of believers. I imagine Gomer. I can't can't fathom how much this freaked her out when Hosea walked in with his cart of barley and his bag of silver and said, I'm buying back my wife and I'm going to love her again. And and then he took her home and he said, I'm going to be faithful to you. I can't imagine what what went through her head at that moment. But it's possible that for part of that she thought, I don't think you will. I've been pretty terrible. I've done everything I can to drive you away from me. I don't think you're going to do that, Hosea. And then as his word came true over time. And how many times do we say, God, you say you'll never leave me or forsake you. You say you're going to cleanse me of my sin. You say if I seek you first in your kingdom, you're going to add all these things to me. I don't know. You can trust him because of who he is. Not because of who you are. You trust him because of who he is. And so I want to leave you with three options this morning based on where you're at. If if you're walking with God, dig in and go deeper. Keep walking with your Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've never really walked with Jesus. You've never said, I'm going to follow Jesus as my Lord. This morning, would you realize how good He is, how infinitely good He is, and say, yeah, I'm going to walk with Him and start following Him. And maybe the third option hits hits most of us. Maybe there's parts of your life where you've been walking away from God's desires, whether it's in your work, it's in your your personal walk with God, the, the dailiness of it. Maybe it's something in your marriage or in your family that you need to get away from that and return to walking with God in His way. Would you return to God this morning? Return to Him knowing that He loves you, knowing that He is faithful, knowing that He wants you to walk with Him. And you have not disqualified yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this. Thank you for your great mercy and your faithfulness. 
and, and that when you forgive us, you separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.